This podcast is only for the attention of professional investors in the financial industry. Outer Blue by Amundi. Welcome to Blue Research. Knowledge sharing on financial research. Hello and thank you for joining us for this Blue Research podcast. The year 2020 was supposed to be the year when policymakers, corporates and investors charged ahead in the fight against climate change. Well, after the disappointing COP25 in Madrid, shocking wildfires in Australia at the end of 2019, and an ambitious plan from the European Union to take climate change head-on with its Green Deal, 2020 was meant to be the turning point. Instead, it is the year of the coronavirus pandemic. The COP26 has been postponed, climate strikes are cancelled, and the European Commission's ability to push through the Green Deal remains to be seen. Well, while lockdowns across the globe are sure to make a dent in emissions for 2020, will the issue of climate change be at the forefront or will it be put on a back burner throughout the recovery phase? Well, to discuss this, I'm joined by Alice de Bazin, the Head of Institutional Offering and Solutions Department, Théophile Pouget-Abadi and Tobias Hessenberger, both working in the Business Solutions and Innovation team. First of all, what are the facts and figures relating to climate that have really stood out for you during these last three months? And Tobias, why don't you kick off for us? So I think in the last three months, uh, we've seen a lot of stakeholders put out a a bunch of research that has positioned essentially the COVID crisis um, as a period where the global efforts against climate change are essentially balancing on a fulcrum. So what I mean by that is that it, it seems that right now we're facing a make it or break it moment in the fight against climate change. And, and that's also reflected in these new facts and figures uh, that have been published uh, over the past three months. Indeed, I think we need to differentiate the immediate and direct impacts from the pandemic and the lockdowns on environmental metrics, such as carbon emissions, and the longer term changes that it could induce in terms of social behavior or in terms of policy. So to begin, the coronavirus pandemic has definitely made a dent on climate change, but only a small one. So CO2 emissions did drop. In fact, according to the International Energy Agency, about 2.6 billion metric tons of carbon dioxide will not be emitted this year. So that's about 8% of annual emissions. And that's the largest drop in recent history. So to compare with the 2009 crisis, Global CO2 emissions that year only dropped by 1.4%, and then they bounced back and grew 5% in 2010. So for 2020, depending on how long confinements last around the world, researchers estimate that CO2 emissions could drop anywhere between 2 to 13%. And this has to be compared to an annual average rise of 1% over over the previous decade. Um, And beyond carbon dioxide emissions, we've also seen clearer skies in polluted cities. We've seen drops in power demand, less traffic congestion, um, less air traffic as well. But the thing is, there are two factors that make us quite pessimistic in the short run. First, there's a lot of inertia in the climate system meaning that the concentration of CO2 in the atmosphere will continue to go up. Remember that to to limit warming to 1.5 degrees annually, we would need to see an annual reduction of 7.5% of CO2 emissions. And second, as you know, CO2 emissions basically, basically come from three sources. So getting on a plane, getting in your car, and eating meat. And during the pandemic, we definitely did a lot less of these things 
things, but unfortunately, old habits die hard and CO2 emissions have already been recovering. So I think what we're, you know, what these figures are trying to say and what we're trying to portray here is that it's not so much the direct impact that is interesting from the crisis, but more the indirect impact in the context of climate change. Um, so the COVID crisis has the potential to change social behaviors, right? So consumption, movement, leisure, all those things that were noted by my colleague. Um, but it also, it can also change policies, both for public policymakers and for, for corporates. So if I have to summarize, so all these key facts and figures that we've noticed uh, that have been published over the past three months um, all support the rationale for, you know, that we need to continue all the mobilization for all the stakeholders in the in the economy and contribute to, to the fight against uh, climate change. Um, and hopefully that means that coming out of the crisis, policymakers uh, and corporates and everyone else uh, will embark on the transformative change uh, to bring about more sustainable growth. Alice, let me turn to you. You anticipate three scenarios concerning climate change in the near future. How do you define those three scenarios? Well, when we started this paper, we realized that the the only thing we know is that Actually, we, we don't know what will happen to the fight against climate change in the months to come, the, the make it or break it moment mentioned by Tobias before. So this is why we, we studied three potential scenarios, the good one, the, the green momentum, the bad one, the policy meltdown, and the status quo. To, to build these scenarios, we considered two underlying variables, the political response and the private response. This response will vary uh, based on the length and the severity of the economic crisis, the debt levels, budget constraints, uh, fossil fuel prices, and obviously international coordination. Okay, let me turn to you, Théophile, and let's delve a little deeper into two of those scenarios, the one you favour the most, and also the alternative, which may end up being the reality. First, the green momentum scenario. Tell us more about it, both from a political and a private sector perspective. So in the good scenario, um, we expect climate change to be integrated into COVID-19 recovery measures, both from public policymakers at an international and national level, but also from corporates. So if we focus first on public policymakers, at the international level, we would like to see a successful COP26, uh, which was postponed this year, with the EU probably leading the way. That would mean, on the one hand, new commitments to lower CO2 emissions, new deals struck between antagonistic parties. So typically, we can think of the divide between developing countries and developed countries that have taken place during these climate negotiations. And we would also like to see the US coming back to the table. At the national level, we would like to see subsidies for clean activities increased, as well as for green products, such as uh, electric vehicles or energy efficiency retrofits to buildings, balanced by the end of subsidies for quote-unquote dirty industries. We would also like to see the loosening of fiscal orthodoxy, meaning that governments would be able to implement green investment plans and attach green conditions to their support. And keep in mind that this is something that we have already seen in 2009 with the Obama administration when they bailed out the car industry. And finally, we would like to see more carbon taxes. Where they are already implemented, we would like to see them broadened or deepened. So for instance, the EU emissions trading schemes could be extended to sectors which it doesn't cover yet. And at the EU level, the European Commission would manage to push the Green Deal through as, as long uh, with and with it its just transition mechanism. On the corporate side, um, 
this green policy support, which would provide much needed visibility. So they would be able to maintain their capital allocations for green energies and perhaps consider further opportunities as new technologies receive strong support. So for instance, hydrogen. We would see lower for longer oil prices that would encourage energy producers to shift to renewable energy sources and a greater standardization of ESG reporting, which would also provide much needed visibility on green policies and plans. And the outcome of this, both on the public policy side and on the corporate side, would be that the small gains that we've seen from the coronavirus are cemented even after the lockdown ends and economic activity resumes. You just mentioned the just transition mechanism of the EU Commission. Could you tell us more about it? So the just transition mechanism from the uh, European Commission stems from one key realization, and that is that the EU transition towards climate neutrality will happen with important disparities across member states or regions. So some regions will have a longer path to go to reach the climate targets than others, and certain regions will probably be more affected than others by the transition. And we can think of regions with a high dependence on the fossil fuel industry. So to ensure a smooth and fair transition, an inclusive transition, the the Commission has proposed to set up a mechanism which is articulated around several axes. The first one is financial support to these regions through a just transition fund, an InvestEU scheme that would be dedicated to the just transition, and also a public sector loan facility from EIB. With that would come risk sharing mechanisms for public and private investors, as well as a technical assistance facility via a just transition platform to advise and support the different stakeholders. Okay, and in this scenario, what are the key elements investors should look at? So undoubtedly, investors will still need to continue taking steps to integrate climate change into their investment processes. And the first reason being that, as we've seen, the climate is highly inertia. However, clear and timely climate policy and regulation roadmaps will provide transparency and oversight to investors on when and how the low carbon transition will occur. So in a way, the materialization of transition risk would be more foreseeable and steadier. And we would also expect markets to further price in a green premium as strong policy support would strengthen the long-term growth and quality profile of green assets. And finally, investors will still need to integrate climate change with a social lens, something that we're already seeing in financial markets. And here I can refer you to a recently published article by our quantitative research team on the outperformance of the S pillar from 2016 onwards. And that has been confirmed during the coronavirus crisis, especially in North America. Well, thank you for that, Teofil. In the status quo scenario, climate change is not fully integrated into recovery plans. Could you tell us more about that, Tobias? Sure. Um, In short, the the status quo scenario is a scenario where governments implement a recovery plan at scale, which is what we've seen. And uh, these sort of recovery plans uh, include uh, sustainability um, to some extent, but perhaps not as much as it should be or as much as we want, at least. So just to give you an example, so in terms of recovery plans, we've already seen governments respond to the crisis on a massive scale. So, so far, um, the IEA and the IMF have identified that the announced recovery plans total uh, 9 trillion US dollars, where the primar- primarily they're focused on emergency financial and economic relief to prevent a further uh, deeper crisis. Um, these announcements um, 
followed a cross society collection of groups. So there have been awareness brought about by businesses, uh, unions, investors, environmental agencies that um, any sort of sort of prosperity of our global recovery coming from these recovery plans. plans uh, essentially the success of them rests upon building a sustainable and strong economy. Um, so in that exact same study that I've mentioned from the IEA and the IMF, they also found that having this sort of sustainable recovery plan could add 1.1 percentage points to global economic growth each year with long-standing impacts on employment and achieving our SDGs in the long run. Um, here, we would have to also note that the EU is, I guess you could say, leading the pack. Um, so we know the, the new long-term budget and recovery package is promised to have some level of green conditionality. Arguably, of course, these green conditions should be stricter and more aligned with the EU Green Deal. Um, so overall, I think in the status quo uh, scenario here, um, the greenness, if you could say, uh, of these recovery plans that we've seen announced up until now uh, remain uh, lukewarm. And that's sort of the same main assumption here. So that means limited green conditionality. And this is the central, uh, central consideration for the status quo scenario. Um, so governments announce warm words on the matter, but I would say miss the mark when it comes to implementing recovery policies, investments that make the low carbon transition a reality in the long run. Um, so in short, polluters will still be able to continue as business as usual in the short run. How about corporates here? How do you assess their behavior in the status quo scenario? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, arguably, this variable is conditional to the previous. So you could say that for you know the further the policymakers decide to push a green recovery, the more corporate action we will see in a sense. Um, in the end, you know, corporates do need supporting regulation and incentives to transition to some extent. Um, this is why we've seen 155 companies with over 2.4 trillion US dollars in market capitalization call upon governments to align their economic aid and recovery efforts with climate science. So specifically that was related to the science-based targets initiative. However, that is not to say that without a green recovery, um, we will see no prog progress from corporates themselves or the private sector. It's just that it will remain limited and not pick up in significant pace or speed in the short term in this scenario. Um, so I think in this scenario, what we're trying to say is that companies will continue to, to take high level commitments as, they, as they've done up until now, but the implementation and operation of the low carbon transition will remain slow uh, with most of pickup and activity, if you could say so, uh, would occur in, you know, once the financial effects of the of the COVID crisis have been dealt with first. Um, thus, what would that mean for, for our climate change mobilization efforts is that we would face a delay in action and a lack of pickup in the speed of climate change mobilization. So what can investors do to monitor climate change risks more closely in this scenario? Firstly, so climate change risk, uh, here we're talking about physical and, and transition risk. And we already know there are plenty examples out there to show that these are materializing as we speak, be it through, you know, weather related events or uh, climate regulation coming into force, challenging uh, corporate operations. Um, and, you know, in this scenario, this materialization will continue at a rate expected according to the mission's pathway the world is on. Um, so that means, you know, currently the mission targets that we have put us on a warming scenario between uh, three to four degrees, some might say. Um, and the effects of this 
path uh, are that for, for for physical risk, we know they will be high. So as I said, we've already seen catastrophic climate change related chronic and acute weather uh, events that have impaired the uh, operational efficiency of corporates. Um, so going forward, these will only get more intense and more frequent. Uh, and in this scenario, we also don't see any climate resilience being built in, a comp uh, in economies so much. Uh, so that's why the impact would be higher. So compared to the other scenarios, yes, the risks would be higher compared to the to the good scenario and, and a lesser extent compared to the bad scenario. When it comes to transition risk, it's slightly different. Again, the risks, you know, they are materializing. They they will continue to materializing. There's no question about that. Um, however, under this scenario, so the status quo scenario, the risk of an inevitable policy response is high. Uh, so that means that policies and regulations will come in late and fast. And as a result, um, policymakers and regulators not implementing measures earlier, as we see under the good scenario. Um, that will have a direct effect on, on corporates uh, managing to cope and face the challenges of climate change, such as stranded assets and potentially risk of defaults as well. This is something that Amundi Research uh, has re recently looked at, where we, we already note significant default probabilities uh, occurring in, in the medium to, to, to long run. Of course, these being centrally focused on the carbon intensive industries, such as utilities, where the main um, variable effect that we look at is carbon prices implementations. Well, thank you for sharing this analysis of those two scenarios. Could you quickly tell us about the third scenario, the bad scenario? Alice? Yes, yeah, sure. Uh, maybe first a quick disclaimer. We believe this to be the least likely, so no worries. But in the in in the bad scenario, we expect recovery measure to overlook climate change, with the uh, with the private sector trying to survive without consideration for greening its activities and a lack of international cooperation, due to, for instance, rising populism. Um, both leading to significantly dis diminished chances of meeting the goals of the Paris Agreement. Uh, but auditor will learn more directly by downloading a paper on Amundi's Research Centre website. Okay, well, thank you for that, Alice. So to conclude, in a nutshell, we can say that the COVID-19 outbreak holds the potential to accelerate, severely undermine, or perhaps have no significant impact on the fight against climate change because... On the one hand, we have a timid response from the various stakeholders, both public and private, that could threaten the ability to meet the terms of the Paris Agreement. And on the other hand, the pandemic could be a golden opportunity to foster a decarbonisation process and transition us towards more sustainable business models and policies. Therefore, engaging with investors is going to be key, whatever scenario happens. Tobias, could you start? And then perhaps, Teofil, uh, could you give your perspective? I think what we would have to conclude on here and a key message for, for everyone to take into account is that in every single one of the scenarios we've looked at here, um, you know, it, it, it does beckon the question for investors to integrate climate change risks today, since as noted beforehand, they are already materializing. So even in a good scenario, investors need to start analyzing their exposure to transition risk and physical risk. And then obviously there's a different levels of magnitude when it comes to what scenarios materialize. But for me, the, that's the main measures that should be taken from this is that the, these risks are materializing and they should be taken into account today as much as possible. And I would add to that, that when we think about the transition to a low carbon economy um, and even its ramifications in terms of our 
our social behaviors, our social system. So we were talking about production, about movement, about exchange. Um, that this low carbon transition will touch all sectors and all geographies. So for global investors, or at least the very least investors that have diversification in their portfolio, you cannot afford to only pick the winners of the transition. So you also have to take the companies that are that are in transition, perhaps the companies that are also struggling to transition. And the only way to, to bring those those corporates aboard is to engage with them. And then the question becomes, how do you engage with those investees so that your engagement materializes into an actual impact that contributes to the low carbon transition? Okay, well, that's all we have time for for this Blue Research podcast. Thank you very much indeed to Alice de Bazin, Head of Institutional Offering and Solutions Department. And thank you also to Théophile Pouget-Abadi and Tobias Hessenberger from the Business Solutions and innovation team. And thank you to you for listening. Please join us again soon for another Blue Research podcast. This podcast is only for the attention of professional investors as defined in Directive 2004-39-EC, dated 21st of April 2004, on markets in financial instruments called MIFID, investment services providers, and any other professional of the financial industry. Views are subject to change and should not be relied upon as investment advice on behalf of Amundi.